Welcome to Green City, a podcast focused on sustainability. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson. We invite you to listen in on our conversations for positive change. It is my hope that we can all come away with something that resonates within our own lives and inspires us to action within our own communities. Let's start where we are and find ways to work together to create more connected, more vibrant, and indeed more sustainable communities. Join us each week as we learn from each other. This morning, we are continuing our series on weather and climate with Iowa's state climatologist, Dr. Justin Glisson. Dr. Glisson graduated from Iowa State University in 2012 and continued as a postdoctoral atmospheric scientist until he was hired as a research atmospheric scientist by ISU. He has participated in many research projects at both Iowa State and the University of Missouri, including studies on extreme precipitation and temperature. And we're thrilled to have you here this morning. Thanks, Justin. Oh, it's so wonderful to be with you. Thank you for having me. So we like to start out with you telling us a little bit more about your journey to this point in your own words. So fill us in a bit. Well, I was a weather nerd from birth. So I grew up outside of St. Louis, uh, St. Charles, Missouri, uh, where we're famous for Lewis and Clark's expedition starting. So uh, talking about how I got here, it's been kind of an expedition. I was scared of severe weather as a kid, uh, deathly scared of severe weather. I remember uh, walking to school, which was one block away with my twin brother, first or second grade, I can't remember. And I saw these weird looking clouds in the morning. Uh, and as I became a meteorologist and a climatologist, I learned what those clouds are called. Uh, but they look like castle turrets. And I knew in the morning those clouds shouldn't be there. Just something told me they shouldn't be there. Well, that afternoon, uh, a large supercell moved through St. Charles. Uh, a tornado was spawned out of that that thunderstorm, but it didn't get close to my house. Uh, but I saw the impacts of that storm. And from there on, I was so much afraid. I, I would watch the Weather Channel. I would stay in the basement. Hmm. I would cry walking to school. I stopped eating breakfast because I would throw up at school because I was so nervous. Finally, my dad sat me aside and said, listen, you're either going to be scared to death all of your life or you, you need to learn about this. So from that day on, I knew I wanted to be a meteorologist and study the weather. Um, that journey brought me to the University of Missouri, which has a great uh, meteorology program. We study large scale atmospheric, atmospheric circulations and how those impact the smaller scale features that we see, thunderstorms, uh, different time of year, what kind of weather patterns we can see. So I did my master's at um, Missouri studying droughts and uh, how we could study the persistence of those droughts uh, in terms of predictability. Well, I was. this was 2008. Uh, we're going into recession, a, a very pivotal year. I decided, well, let's, let's go do a PhD. And I, I had always wanted to have a PhD as a kid because the, that always sounded cool to be a doctor without having to go to med school, right? Uh, so I, I uh, luckily uh, found a listing uh, from my then, who would be my professor, Dr. Bill Gutowski, uh, for a PhD, which was funded uh, by the Department of Energy, a little bit of Department of Defense, but we were looking at uh, climate modeling across the Arctic 
<clears throat> and how the, the sea ice evolution uh, as one component of this model would impact um, surface fleets uh, moving into the end of the 21st mm. century. So very interesting research that we did. I studied uh, extremes, uh, climate extremes, uh, making sure those extremes were produced by the models correctly, because if a model can produce extremes, we know it's going to produce the other behaviors that we we get out of uh, outlook, uh, uh, longer term climate models. Uh, and uh, I was at Iowa State from 2008 to 2018 as a postdoc research atmospheric scientist. I, I taught uh, fluid dynamics for a uh, bill. Uh, so yeah, it was a, it's been a very interesting journey, but I'm, I feel lucky to be an Iowan, even though I'm from Missouri. Uh, I've, uh, I've, fa I've fallen in love with Iowa. I've fallen in love with our farmers and our producers. Just the, the general public in Iowa has been, uh, it's Iowa nice. I, I can't say anything more. Yeah. What a compelling story. Wow. That, that's amazing. And that means your passion runs deep in this arena. So that's very cool. Yeah. yeah, It's in my bones. Yes. So tell us a little bit about um, the Iowa Department of Ag and Land Stewardship and then your role specifically as our climatologist. Yeah, so uh, being a state climatologist, there are 49 of us. Um, most of our state climatologists are, most of my colleagues are at research universities, so research one institutions. Um, there was a federal state partnership between uh, state climatologists and uh, the state governments, National Weather Service back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. That program was dissolved back in 1974. Uh, so a lot of the older state climatologists <clears throat> call that Black Friday because they were basically um, fired or mm. let go. Um, Iowa has an interesting uh, background when it comes to weather observers. My, We can think of my predecessor, my first predecessor, Dr. Gustavus Heinrichs at the University of Iowa uh, back in 1888, first weather observer for the state of Iowa, but also the first official weather observer west of the Mississippi. Hmm. Uh, so I mentioned Lewis and Clark being from St. Louis. They actually had the first sighting of a tornado in Iowa back in 1804. So Iowans and those that move through Iowa are very keen when it comes to weather and climate. Uh, Dr. Heinrichs also termed the phrase or the, the word derecho. He hmm. was studying tornadic events versus straight line wind events. He found a word in Spanish meaning forward or straight ahead and derecho. So hence the unofficial state climatologist, first state climatologist of Iowa um, was uh, an Iowan. Huh. But getting back to the, the department, uh, I'm written in Iowa code. My position is written in Iowa code under the Department of Agriculture, which is an odd, uh, if you think of the, 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 uh, the full canopy of state climatologists, I'm basically the only one in a Department of Agriculture. But it made sense, I think, to the legislature to write the state climatologist in code under the Department of Agriculture, given how much agriculture drives the state economy. Mm -hmm. So you think of a state climatologist as a weather archivist for the state, a weather historian. My predecessor, Harry Hilliker, called himself a weather librarian. Mm -hmm. If you look, uh, obviously your listeners can't see my office, but we have weather records behind me going back to the forts in the uh, late 1800s. And lots of uh, maps on the walls. Lots of maps. Uh, <laughs> as, I, as we mentioned off air, um, my middle name is Maps. Maps <laughs> tell us the story. 
Uh, they tell us where we've been and they tell us where we're going. So they're very graphically as, you know, as a scientist, I learn on a daily basis how to communicate more efficiently to the general public and these maps help us. Uh, so the Department of Agriculture, uh, I work for the Secretary of Agriculture, who also has a very vast knowledge of weather and climate across the state. You talk with farmers, I talk with farmers daily. They're very intuitive when it comes to weather. So being connected to the Department of Agriculture uh, as a scientist, as a climatologist, um, I, I, it, there's a there's such a sweet balance between the science and then getting out into the field and seeing the science as it impacts agriculture. And farmers are, as I mentioned, intuitive. They see what's going on and they have to be very um, adaptive focused in terms of the extremes that we're, we're seeing across the state. Right, right. And you recently met with the Iowa Farmers Union to discuss some of these challenges they're facing on a daily basis when it comes to weather. So what, what, were they sharing? So if we look at the trends since 1895, when the federal record started, we've seen an increase in the atmospheric temperature, but basically a 10th of a degree per decade. So we're warmer than we were in the late 1800s by one and a half, 1.3 to one and a half degrees. A warmer temperature in the atmosphere has to necessitate more water vapor being held in the atmosphere. So what farmers are seeing are more often these higher intensity rainfall events in the growing season, but also coupled with drought conditions more often. So we look at 2018, we had D3 um, extreme drought in southeastern Iowa. We wouldn't see D3 at a given location once, but every 30 to 40 years. You move seven counties north, the northern third of the state, with the wettest year on record. So mm -hmm. we're seeing those extremes commingle amongst themselves and it's happening more often. We're currently in a, a widespread drought across the state right now as of August, 2022. Uh, so we're dealing with extremes and farmers are dealing with extremes and this impacts what they grow, what hybridization they grow, uh, but also when they plant, when we harvest, we're seeing falls and springs become more wet, which delays planting, but also delays harvest. Mm -hmm. But with a warmer atmosphere, we're also seeing a growing season increase by 10, 10 days on average. So we're, we're giving ourselves some breathing room there, but the extremes are becoming more extreme and we should expect those trends as we move into the future. That's why I'm here as a resource to educate and to listen to farmers to see what they're doing uh, to adapt to these types of changes that we're seeing in the, the large scale atmosphere. Because one of the things, and I don't remember if I saw this on the um, your department website or the Iowa State Extension website, but you you put out some of these maps and data predictions, right? That's a lot of is that a lot of what you do specifically to support them and help guide them. I have fifty plates going at once. There are all kinds of things <laughs> that I do, uh, but one of the most uh, important things that I do is work with extension for drought and wetness monitoring, but also get an idea of what's happening on the ground. I, I like one of the best parts of my job is doing field tours, uh, going out with farmers, looking at the crop, uh, looking for those signs of drought, looking for those signs of uh, above average wetness. That can kind of give us an idea what we're looking at in the longer term forecasts out eight to 14 days, for example. Um, you know, 
Extension is a, a vital part of my job. They're the eyes and ears on the ground for Iowans. Uh, so being able to interact with them has been a remarkable part of my job. You know, I mentioned Iowa code. My position is written in Iowa code. My only code responsibility is from April to November to write the weekly weather summary for the USDA crop progress report. That's my only code responsibility. Now, of course, I do much more than that, right. but uh, those weekly reports in terms of weather behavior across the state, along with the, the precipitation and temperature plots, do tell us a story of, of the current trends on the ground, but also the potential for where we are going through the growing season and the impactful nature of weather on agriculture. Right. Well, and as someone who grew up in, in Northwest Iowa, it, I, in in one of the things I read that came out recently from you, you talk about that's an area that's really hurting in regards to drought right now. And that not only affects the farmers, but the entire community, right? Farmers are integral to society. They produce our food. Um, but yes, uh, you think of all the inputs that they have to deal with fertilizer costs, you know, with inflation being so high, that impacts all of the things that go into planting and getting harvested. And then you put drought on top of that. We're coming out of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. All of those stresses, um, you know, you think of farmers, uh, so many stressors. They're the most resilient people that I've ever met. Uh, they put up with a lot and they deal with a lot. So mental health is a big component hmm. of weather and climate. You know, we can't control the weather, as my father told me when I was a kid, but we can learn about it and we can adapt to it. So talking with farmers in northwestern Iowa, going back two and a half years, uh, precipitation deficits to uh, 15 to 25 inches below average, but they still get a crop out. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me. And I, I get choked up talking about farmers and and just what I do because it's uh, it's a learning experience. And um, it's as we said, it, everybody's interlinked and we all help each other in some way. So me being a resource to our farmers only adds to the passion that I have for this position. Yeah. And are are is it generally embraced at this point that they recognize that their climate change is affecting weather, which is affecting what they do on a daily basis? And are they eager to kind of find those proactive solutions that can help them manage what they do? I've I've found that over the last four years of being in this position. You know, there's politics involved with climate change. You know, if you take the politics out of it, you talk to farmers and they tell you what's happening on their on their farms. We've got century and heritage farmers that go back 100, 150 years. They've seen changes. They've they've definitely seen uh, more extremes more often. The wets are getting wetter. The dries are getting drier. Colds are colder and the warms are warmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we talk about conservation process, uh, um, things that farmers can do in terms of conservation. We also talk about edge of field practices, but also we look back to the Dust Bowl. We changed agriculture after the Dust Bowl. We changed how we farm after the Dust Bowl. So that's the resiliency and the innovation that our farmers and uh, that our agricultural community has put into place to address these extremes. Now, of course, the extremes are becoming more extreme. Mm-hmm. Farmers recognize this. Uh, this is their their this is their cost of living. This is their livelihood. Uh, so I, I've been very much impressed by 
the the tools that our farmers have used, but also the the intellectual curiosity that our farmers have mm. in terms of the weather that they're seeing and what changes, uh, how we can address those changes. Right, right. So what do you think, what would you like our listeners to understand better when it comes to maybe misperceptions about the ag community and and what they're actually doing on the ground to try to manage all that impacts them daily? We talk about as we just spoke about, we're all interlinked together. Um, society, um, we need farmers. That's, it's, uh, this is the, uh, we feed the world. And Iowa is on the forefront of feeding the world. Uh, misconceptions about agriculture. We've got a lot of, you know, these are these huge conglomerate farms. We have a lot of family farms across the state. Mm-hmm. And they, they have multifaceted things that they do. They get up really early in the morning to do chores and they go to bed really late at night because there are so many things that they have to do on the farm to get those products to our tables. Mm-hmm. Uh, so of course, uh, you know, we get into water quality issues, we get into X, Y, and Z, but farmers are on the forefront of feeding us and farmers are on the forefront of of helping address the impacts that we're seeing from a changing climate. We talk about planting more cover crops that acts as a carbon sequestration tool, but it also improves soil health across the state. Mm -hmm. And Iowa soils are the richest soils that we can find on earth. Uh, So we wanna keep that soil here. So those cover crops, but also no-till practices, keep that soil here. And as I mentioned, we have an increase in the higher intensity rainfall events. Well, having cover crops or having no-till practices there acts to keep that soil where it should be. So farmers have done a a remarkable job of conservation practices. We talk about watersheds, we talk about uh, buffer strips. All of these practices that are being used are economic, but they're also uh, for the good of the environment. Mm -hmm. And as you know, my family farm was north of St. Louis and uh, was sold in the, the 70s. Uh, so I don't come from a, a strict farming background, but learning from farmers every day and seeing what they do has really um, informed me of why farmers are necessary. Mm-hmm. Well, and someone as, as many of us across the state are not farmers we can also tap into these great maps and great data that you have out there, right? That you, it's it's worth it to go to the website and to check out what you're doing. Well, I don't want to toot my own horn, but that website <laughs> went through a major rebuild once I started. We want to make it user-friendly. Climate data, weather data can be um, bulky. It can be burdensome to go through. So part of my responsibility is educating the general public in terms of what these maps show, but also what the data is showing. Where are we moving? Where have we been? Uh, We think of our weather records as, you know, it's, we grew wheat here in the 1800s. Well, we've definitely changed what we grow here. We grow corn and beans now uh, as a major economic driver. As I mentioned, we feed the world. Uh, But you know, the weather records that I have in my office, they tell 
the history of the state. They tell the history of agriculture across the state. And it gives you goosebumps every day. It gives me goosebumps driving up to the Capitol every day uh, because I have the best job on earth. I get to do what I'm passionate about. And I've got all these records that can show us tremendous things. So putting those into products, maps or uh, narratives uh, for our different stakeholder groups or in the general public across the state uh, is a learning uh, experience for me as well. It helps us communicate better with the public, given that there are so many, um, not inconsistencies, but some myths out there in terms of what you see on social media. So right, having actual data uh, is a, a wonderful thing. Yeah. Go to the source of that actual data. And as you say, you get a lot of that data from those on the ground, either through extension or the farmers themselves. Absolutely. So I'm yeah. I'm a weather nerd. I'm a data nerd. Uh, we've got all kinds of models. We've got all kinds of observations that we can get from instrumentation across the state. But to put that into perspective with what we actually see on the ground uh, gives us the full picture of mm -hmm. weather across the state, but also agriculture. So putting those things together gives us a more robust idea of where we are and the potential moving forward, giving, given the extreme nature that we're seeing. Right. So as someone who sees this data on a daily basis, where do you find hope when it comes to climate change and, and how it's hitting us right now? I do a lot of, or I used to do before the pandemic, a lot of elementary school uh, presentations or a lot huh. of presentations to students. Uh, one one error that I made was I told a first grade class they could ask me as many questions as they wanted and I'd stay <laughs> as long as I could. Well, I was there for three hours. So they, but they asked the greatest questions. They have no filter, right? <laughs> Giving them presentations on just, you know, what's weather, whether the clothes you're wearing today versus climate or climatology, those are the clothes you have in your closet for summer. Just explaining the difference between weather and climate and then showing them that they can be impactful in terms of making a, a weather journal or talking about severe weather. You know, when it comes to me, uh, I still put, I'm still scared of severe weather. I'm still hide my head when it, when it's lightning outside. I, I, it's just that nature, but you learn to deal with it. Uh -huh. So what gives me hope, we have so many uh, phenomenal teachers out there. We have so many phenomenal farmers out there that are teaching uh, the younger generations uh, innovation in agriculture, but also telling them what's happening. It's definitely happening. We are seeing climate change and it's impacting weather on a scale that we haven't seen before. Getting that knowledge out there, that gives mm -hmm. me hope that, you know, looking at science through a science-based observational lens, as opposed to these myths that we have out there. Uh, also, uh, getting the proper information to the people that can impact us, policymakers. I work with uh, state senators and legislature uh, during um, session. Also, mm -hmm. I'm in the basement of the Wallace building at the Capitol, which is funny because I'm a meteorologist, but I don't have a window. Yeah. But those tunnels leading from the Capitol go right by my office. So they pop in often and we chat. Mm -hmm. So informing our uh, policymakers of what we're seeing and what we can see moving forward, we're currently working on the state drought plan, and it's been a phenomenal process with the DNR 
the Department of Agriculture, Department of Homeland Security, um, Governor's Office, also the Iowa Climate Assessment we're working on. We're getting that data and we're putting it together and we're you know, we're we're feeding it to them. Right. And I, I believe it's becoming impactful. So the younger generation, but also getting the proper information uh, in the hands of the policymakers gives me great hope. Very good. Well, Justin, it's obvious your passion for what you do, and we're so grateful for what you do every day and for taking some time to talk with us this morning. Thank you. Uh, This has been a a tremendous interview. Thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, remember to check out yourgreenportal.com for the podcast and blog of the show. Tune in next week as we continue this series on weather. Until then, stay curious, stay engaged, and thanks for listening. That's all for this edition of Green City. I'm Lene Marty Henson, and I hope you continue to listen in on these conversations focused on the broad realm of sustainability. I truly believe that we go further faster when we come together to have real dialogue, inspiring us toward practical solutions. Let's continue to learn from each other how best to nurture this precious planet we call home. Thanks for listening. We are truly grateful.